Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex for BTN.com and we are back on the Take 10 Podcast this week. Took a week off last week. Lost my voice a little bit after the Memorial Day weekend, so uh, it would not have been a very fun sounding interview. But I'm back and the Take 10 Podcast is back and we've got a couple of great guests this week, especially if you're a Wisconsin Badgers fan. I think you'll really enjoy it as we got a couple of Wisconsin Badgers from a couple of different eras of uh, Badger hoops on the show this week. Our first discussion is with former Wisconsin forward Brian Butch. He played in the mid-2000s for Bo Ryan, played on some great Wisconsin teams. The first Wisconsin team, actually, to be ranked number one in the country. A pair of 30-win uh, teams, and he had a very solid career for the Badgers after a uh, McDonald's All-American high school career. So we catch up with him, uh, talk to Butch about what he's been up to and his adventures in overseas ball as well uh, during his post-Badger days. So that was a lot of fun. And then our second guest is uh, from a more current era of Wisconsin basketball. And I say that like it, like Butch's era was that long ago. It wasn't. But uh, we got Duye Dukin from the two Final Four teams. He was a key reserve, a, a six-man of sorts for Wisconsin Badgers in 2014 and 2015 when they made those Final Fours. And his career, I believe, spanned five years at Wisconsin from 2010 to 2015. So some great insight from Dukin as well into those extremely fun and extremely successful Wisconsin basketball teams that uh, feature the likes of Frank Kaminsky, Sam Decker, Nigel Hayes, Bronson Koenig, and of course, Duye Dukin, who, as I said, played a key role in, in many of those games, especially his junior and senior years. So had a lot of great stories, uh, especially if you are uh, interested or know about some funny Bo Ryan stories. These guys had a, a couple for us that were hysterical. So definitely stay tuned for those, and uh, we got some great stories about their teammates as well from those playing days. So a lot of fun for Wisconsin fans and Big Ten fans in general because these are some very memorable teams they're talking about, and it was fun kind of going down memory lane with them. Even if uh, you know, you're know you not a Wisconsin fan, I think you'll enjoy the discussion. So stay tuned for that coming up in just a moment. First, a couple of reminders here on the Take 10 Podcast. Um, be sure, if you haven't already, to subscribe to the Take 10 Podcast. We're on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. And you can also subscribe now on YouTube. We're putting all the Take 10 podcasts on YouTube. And um, it's just another place where you can find the Take 10 podcast and conveniently stream it on your desktop, phone, wherever. Subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, or Podbean if you haven't already. One more reminder for the Take 10 podcast, we do have a promo code that is still active on the btn.com online store. Get some uh, shopping done on the btn.com online store for Big Ten fans. You can get all kinds of Big Ten merch, swag, gear, all that good stuff. And you can get 10% off any order on the take, on the btn.com online store with the promo code TAKE10. That's capital T-A-K-E, the number one and the number zero. Use that TAKE10 promo code to get 10% off your order through the TAKE10 podcast. All right, so let's get to it now. A pair of interviews with a pair of Wisconsin Badgers, former Wisconsin Badgers that uh, feature both feature a lot of good stuff, a lot of fun insight, and we'll start it off with former Badger Brian Butch. And that interview with Mr. Butch starts right now. I'm very pleased to be joined by a former All-Big Ten player with the Wisconsin Badgers. He's currently an assistant coach with the Wisconsin Herd G League team. After playing a decade of pro ball, it's Brian Butch, and you can follow him on Twitter at Brian underscore butch what's up brian thanks for joining me not much glad to be a part of it excited yeah absolutely good to have you on and uh 
you are retired from playing pro basketball, but you are still around the game. And as I mentioned, you're a coaching associate in the G League, and you do some sports talk as well. So uh, fill me in on what you're up to these days in the world of sports. Yeah, no, it's a it's a fun time to be me. I got a lot of lot of irons in the fire right now. But uh, what I do in the summertime is we run a whole bunch of youth uh, basketball camps in the state of Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, and Minnesota. We'll be running about seventy five to eighty of them this summer. Uh, all over teaching the game that I love and being a part of it. So that's kind of the first part. Uh, I also run a talk show in Appleton, Wisconsin on 1570 to score. And we talk everything from Brewers, Packers, Bucks, and obviously Badgers. And then the last thing, uh, which I did last year was, uh, was my first year from playing. And I was an assistant coach for the Wisconsin herd, the Wisconsin or the Milwaukee Bucks uh, G league team. And obviously I know that league really well played in it for five years, had a lot of success in that league. So it's always good to come back to that league and, um, you know, be able to share the stories that I know and have, uh, you know, gone through with guys that are going through the same thing that I did. So really excited to be back in that environment and that arena as well, uh, knowing kind of what I know and knowing that I can help the guys going through it. Probably made it a little easier to hang it up as well, being around sports uh, in the ways that you are, right? Well, it did, and I was going back and forth last year if I was going to play or not. I was waiting for a great contract. I was kind of being really patient about it, playing as long as I have. There was no rush to get back to it. So ultimately, I had a couple of conversations with the GM, Dave Dean, and, and our head coach was a guy that I played and played at the same time, played against, and then uh, played with him a little bit. And then he was actually my assistant coach, my lack last year in Bakersfield. So I knew Jordan Brady a little bit prior to that. So I reached out to both those guys and said, yeah, we'd love to have you be a part of it. We'll give you some flexibility. If a great contract comes up, you can go play still. So I was doing everything to be in shape and be a part of it just in case I did get a phone call. And then ultimately just kind of decided about halfway through the season, this is this is what I really enjoy. I really, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like I can really impact players and still be part of the game and wake up and my body feels a lot better than it normally did. So at that point, it was kind of, okay, let's do this and, and let's turn the page and move on to what's next. All right, for sure. And a lot of Wisconsin fans listening obviously know all about your playing days. And then uh, you played a decade of ball overseas and stateside in the G League, like we mentioned. And I definitely want to get to those stories here in a bit because those are always fun but first uh what I'd like to do is get into athletes backgrounds and how they came up and kind of matriculated through college and, and then uh on throughout their careers so first off we have to talk about this McDonald's All-American game you were a part of because you were on the team in 2003 and as NBA fans know that was a legendary class so I'm just going to read some of the names here for, for those who don't on your McDonald's All-American t- uh, game team was LeBron James or in the game itself. LeBron James, Chris Paul, Luol Deng, Charlie Villanueva, Shannon Brown, Chris Humphreys, Kendrick Perkins, Aaron Brooks, and then there's more. And and to me, that's just insane. So I'm sure you have some experiences and stories from that week and and everything that led up to that game with those guys. Well, and actually, you know, the fun part about it is I went, played in the McDonald's game for a week, and then right away, about half of that group got on a plane and went to Chicago and ended up playing in the EA Sports Round Ball Classic. So I had a solid about two, two and a half weeks of the, with these guys and oh, got wow. to know them on a personal level and just kind of understood how they ticked a little bit. And then we kind of all went on our journeys of what it was, and you end up crossing paths occasionally with them and understanding where they're, what they're doing and 
you've got that kind of that brotherhood a little bit of, of knowing that you kind of you were one of the top 20 players in, in the country that year. So it's always been good. I've always seen those guys at different events and different things and I've had a chance to cross paths and kind of say hello, what's up. And it's fun. It's something that, you know, really only 20 kids in the whole country get to experience that every year. So it's a really special thing to be a part of. And everyone was trying to find themselves out. Some guys were going to college. Some guys, as we know, by by number 23 there went right to the nba and has had just an all right career i'd say so (laughs) (laughs) but to see lebron uh the way he interacted in the all-american game the way he did things was crazy because physically he was at a different level but i also think mentally he was at a different level the way he approached the all-star game he knew that was something special obviously it was in cleveland his home he wanted to put on a show and he did but you could just see the mental approach that he took in high school not many high school kids and then even dealing with as many camps that i deal with now you don't see that mental approach you know it's something we talk about a lot at our camps you don't see that mental approach and lebron's mental approach was so much above everybody else's you know the chris pauls the kendrick Perkins, all those guys they had great approaches but lebron was above all of those guys and that's why he's had the success in my opinion that's why he's had the success that he's had so far because it's always he's had the physical tools but i think mentally that's what separates him yeah and you read those names and you just see how many are out of basketball or have retired and you know it's nothing really against any of you guys because lebron's superhuman but it's really eye-opening to see him at the top of his game still and and that game being so long ago really well it's actually i mean it's unbelievable and then you could you know watch game one and you see what he does and i'm sitting on my couch thinking wow i played 10 years professionally i thought that was a really good career and and then you see what he's done and you just i'm in utter amazement because i i just you know knowing the, the, the road and the journey that I was on and where it went with numerous injuries and all of that stuff. I mean, LeBron hasn't had any serious injuries. He's stayed healthy. He's been able to continue at a high level. And then to do what he did in game one of the finals right away and put up 51 and just, it's just amazing at what he's done. And, uh, you know, I was very, very lucky to, to witness that at the beginning and now be able to witness it from afar. It, it's just amazing. Yeah, it's nuts. And uh, we'll move on now. Focus a little more on, on your career. Um, so coming out of that McDonald's All-American game, you went to Wisconsin, you stayed in your home state, and uh, not many McDonald's All-Americans red shirt. You won't see that very often at all, but you did at Wisconsin. Uh, what went into that decision? Well, yeah, I think a lot of it was I was 185 pounds trying to play in the Big Ten. For me, one of the reasons I was a McDonald's All-American was I was really skilled. I put a lot of time into my craft. I put a lot of time into becoming a good shooter. My footwork was good. All the stuff that a lot of great athletes don't necessarily have to do, I had to do. So I was really skilled, and people respect that. I could put the ball in the basket. I could stretch bigs out. Before that was really a huge thing. We, you know, In 2003, the only bigs that really could stretch the floor were European bigs. It hadn't really come to American basketball. I was a little bit above, ahead of that curve. So it was a great thing. But again, everybody knows what the Big Ten is. There's a, It's a physical league. I was 185 pounds. I was getting thrown around like a wet noodle was. So going into that and having some conversations, I realized if I could go in and put some weight on, my red shirt year would not be a waste. And by the time I was a senior, I'd achieve everything that I needed to achieve. 
And ultimately, that's kind of how it played out. Obviously, we didn't get to a Final Four win a national championship. Some guy by the name of Steph Curry was able to uh, knock us off in the Sweet 16. So, obviously, that, that hurts a little bit. But if you were to tell me that he's doing what he's doing now, I probably could have lived with it a little bit better. Uh, but ultimately, I think that the decision was I knew I'd be a better player my senior year than I ever would and be able you know, help Wisconsin than my redshirt freshman year just because I wasn't physically able to do it. And, and you're seeing that a little bit now with, with the guys like Nate Reavers, who's in there. I think if Nate would have been able to redshirt, I think you would have seen – and I still think you'll see great things from him. I really do. But you, you're seeing him out on the floor this past year – and you could see where physically he was outmanned. Not mentally, not basketball IQ-wise, but just physically he was put in some really, really tough situations. Yeah, and Wisconsin didn't really have the luxury of probably redshirting him this past year just with the, the personnel and, and the position they were in. But when you came in, you came in at kind of the end of the Devin Harris era, beginning of Alondo Tucker, well, right? So, so Bo kind well, of had exactly, the program yeah, no. up and running, right? Yeah, for sure. So it was Devin Harris. But then we had some pretty good picks now. Right. Uh, Mike Wilkinson was there. You know, you had Zach Morley come in. So there were some, some guys that really could play at a high level ahead of me as well. And I think I think a guy like Mike Wilkinson just doesn't nearly get as much credit as he should. I mean, Mike was a heck of a basketball player for Wisconsin and was really kind of a, a huge catalyst in starting to win Big Ten championships there. Absolutely. And uh, I brought up Bo Ryan. Obviously, everyone knows he's, he's uh, one of the best Coaches in Big Ten history, college basketball history. Whenever I interview Wisconsin players, I feel like there, there's always some funny stories about Bo. So do you have any favorite stories that come to mind about Bo, whether it's in the locker room or, or on the court or whenever? Well, you're right about that. I think every Wisconsin player has a story about Bo, that's for sure. This is my go-to one, and I tell it to almost everybody that, that listens because to me it, just, it still amazes me. But – it explains the type of person coaches and why he's had so much so much success at Wisconsin. You know, we always get on our planes and, and everywhere we go. And when you get on your bus, coach always sits in the front of the bus. That's normal. Most coaches do everywhere since playing. That's that's where a lot of the coaches have sat. No big deal. But when we get on our plane rides, coach doesn't sit in the front of the plane. Coach sits in the back of the plane. So, you know, freshman year, I'm walking by. I think it's a little weird, but whatever, no big deal. Sophomore year, I walk by again, and all right, let it go. Don't say anything. Junior year, I still don't say anything. I'm thinking, okay, you got to let it be, Brian. Well, finally, I dislocate my elbow. We're number one in the country. We're playing Ohio State. Dislocate my elbow. I'm out for the year. My senior year is coming up. And I'm, I, I don't know if it was the pain medicine or what it was, but finally I go to coach. Coach, got a question for you. Why in the world do you sit in the back of the plane? And he gets all serious with me. And I'm thinking, oh, this is wrong question. Come on, Brian. You should have waited at least until you're averaging a double-double or something before you bring this question up. However, he goes, Brian, have you ever seen a plane go down tail first? (laughs) No. I go, Coach, well, there's your answer. Listen, if this plane's going down, I'm going to survive. It's going to go down nose first and that tail, and I'm going to survive. I looked at Coach, I said, Coach, I love you, man. But if this plane's going down, we're all going down. I don't care if I'm sitting in the front, middle, or back. But I think that story really, there's two reasons I like that story. One, 
it explains the way that he thinks. I mean, he was a survivor. He was a fighter. And he got every Wisconsin team to play that same way. We fought. We clawed. We did everything we needed to do to win games. And then we just we had that grit. And, and ultimately, I think that explains that story explains who Bo Ryan is. But it also explains what Wisconsin basketball is. That's great. I, and I love that you didn't work up the courage to ask him until like three or four years into your career. That's, that's a lot. Well, exactly. Hey, listen, I know I needed to start. And I needed to make sure I was producing something before I went to him with a question. That's for sure. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. So how about, uh, I mean, you mentioned some of your teammates, even some of the unsung heroes, and, and we know a lot about a lot of the Wisconsin legends from those days. So how about uh, stories from your teammates? And it could be, you know, you spent quite a bit of time in Madison. It could be any of those uh, years you were there. Do you have any favorite teammate stories you like to tell? Well, you know, I think that the best thing about what we did is there wasn't one guy. And I think you, know, you, you brought up names as Devin and Alondo Tucker and those guys. But I think what made Wisconsin such a special place is we all knew that no one would have success without the other guy and the camaraderie that we had the ability that we were able to each kind of put our own egos to the side for the betterment of each other so that we would ultimately have success as a team i think that's what made all those guys special but i really think a lot of it goes back to our preseason conditioning where and we're running the hill, the, the famous hill that every Wisconsin fan knows about or has heard about, and I know it's got changed a little bit. But that was a mental grind, and, and the, the camaraderie that we would have was awesome. I mean, there are times that guys were running up and down that hill, and you'd see them take off running to the forest a little bit so that they'd throw up whatever they ate. They ate the day, you know, too early or too late, whatever it might have been. I mean, there was times like that that would constantly happen. And, you know, a guy like Ray Nixon, I remember him taking off once. He comes back. He finishes up the hills. And that, to me, is what made all these moments special. I think, you know, when you talk about getting together as a team and you got a lot of characters in a locker room, especially in a basketball locker room. And I think we all found ways to mesh. We all found ways to, to work together. And that ultimately, I think, was, was some of the, the best times that we've had Um yeah, I remember when we took a we took a trip to Italy as a team, uh, going into our junior year, and then obviously we played really well that junior year and were number one in the country. And yeah, you remember the Italy trip as far as just just a, an opportunity to come together to play uh, play games that were somewhat meaningful, but just you know goof around at ice cream shops, go to the Coliseum, and and everyone's eyes are are looking different places and doing different things, and so that those. You, know, you ask for one story. There's just there's not one story. There's it's the it's the camaraderie. It's what happens in the locker room. Those sorts of things are the stuff you remember the most. The stories. There's always something funny that happens every day. Almost it, you know with as many characters that you have on a on a team. There's always a story. It's just a matter of what story is today. And then the next day, you know, there's going to be something else. And the next day, it's someone, somebody else doing something weird. So, uh, but that's what made those teams so special. Yeah, definitely. And, and you mentioned how strong that, that team aspect of your, your group was. But when you became an upperclassman and, and on those great Wisconsin teams, you kind of really came into your own as a player. You were honorable mention All-Big Ten as a junior, uh, first team All-Big Ten as a senior, won 30 games both years. So I assume having that personal role – and such a prominent role in the team had to be rewarding for you, especially coming up as such a uh, highly regarded recruit. 
Well, yeah, and I think what what made that special was the process. And I know the process right now, that term is being overused. But for me, I understood that this wasn't going to be a one one thing. I, I knew I, you know, you, we talked about it, my redshirt year. I was going to have to put on 30 or 40 pounds. I mean, I did. I, I was about 235, 240. I put on 60 pounds. Okay, well, you don't just put on 60 pounds in a year and then have your body respond the way you want it to respond. I needed to kind of change my game a little bit, craft my game into my new body. So that was going to take a year. My freshman year, I, I thought I had, you know, a pretty good freshman year was still trying to figure out what my body was and what I could do couldn't do what I should do and then also understand what it meant to play Wisconsin basketball I didn't play a whole lot of defense in high school I didn't have to I was seven feet tall and everybody else was about six three so you just stand in the middle you block shots rebound you're good to go well I think every Wisconsin fan knows that's not gonna cut it under Bull Ryan so I needed to learn what it meant to play defense and how to play defense and positionally where I needed to be. All those little things that you know people take for granted, I needed to kind of relearn a little bit. So that progress and that progression is really what I really enjoyed. I, I knew I needed to get better. I got better. And then when it was time to you know play, I felt like I played at a, at a pretty high level. I thought, thought I turned out to be a halfway decent basketball player. So that was the fun part. Um, on a personal level, obviously, you know, it's been broken, but my junior year, we had 30 wins. That was a school record. My senior year, we had 31 wins. We, that was a school record. So, you know, to leave your last two years when you had a really big part of it and to, to have 61 wins in two years, you know, that's, that's the stuff we're pr- I'm proud of as a team, because I think ultimately we all bought in. I, uh, you, you see it all the time when college players leave college. Well, I could have done more. I had to fit into the system. And if any college player sits there and, and doesn't tell you that, they're probably lying to you. Ultimately, every college kid leaves a college program and says, oh, coach didn't let me do this, or I could have done this. But it's you buy in for the betterment of the program. That's what college basketball is. That's why there's so much success there. Uh, so ultimately, I think that's what the great part was. And, uh, you know, everyone bought into that, and we won. And everyone sacrificed. And that right there is, again, I think what Wisconsin basketball is, sacrifice for the betterment of the program. Yeah, and Bo had built that thing into a consistent winner, and Wisconsin had been very good for a long time by the time you got there. But as you mentioned, it was the first Wisconsin team to be ranked number one while you were there. So what was the vibe like around campus, around Madison, when the program kind of reached that pinnacle? Yeah, and it's crazy that it's still, you know, even with as good as the Final Four teams have been, you know, they still weren't ranked number one in the country. So, you know, the vibe was great. I think ultimately we did – it was a great, great place to be. The Cole Center was rocking every single night we were there. And we really had a really, really good team. And I think, you know, obviously a little biased, everyone's going to say when they listen to this, but – and and coach Ryan has even hinted at it at times, but I think the team that we had my junior year was a final four team. If I don't dislocate my elbow, which is probably one of the nastier injuries out there, but it definitely derailed what we could do. And and we go from being a team that's number one in the country to almost losing in the first round of the NCAA tournament to Texas A&M Corpus Christi. So that, that right there was a, a really, really tough thing to kind of overcome. For me, it was a tough thing mentally because I wanted to be out there playing, helping this team, you know, go far because we had the pieces. You know, as a player, if you have the pieces to make it 
to a Final Four to be a national championship caliber team. You know that. We had the pieces there. My senior year, I thought we had the pieces. I really thought our bracket set up really nice for us. Um, I thought we were a better team my junior year. My senior year, I thought we did a really, really good job. We were really good. We would have definitely made a deep run. And like I said earlier, a guy by the name of Steph Curry came in and, and decided he was going to end that real quickly. But that being said, that Davidson team was more than Steph. They had some really good players on the team. Yeah, definitely. I want to ask about that game in just a moment. But you brought up the unfortunate injury you suffered to your elbow. And like just the, the thought of a dislocated elbow just kind of makes me – Makes me squirm here, sitting thinking, like just hearing that term. So, was it as uh, uncomfortable and painful as it sounds? <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, that, that's all I got. <laughs> I mean, it was everything. If you go to YouTube, you still can see it, which I'm not suggesting to do it. But everything you see, it is. It, that was one of the most. Uh, I've had a couple of pretty severe injuries. That one would ranks up there, not as bad as my ruptured patella tendon, but. Uh, that one right there was one of those where I ultimately didn't even realize what was going on. Uh, I went up to block a shot, and why? That's a great question. Everyone that's seen me play realizes that I am so not an athlete. So why was I trying to do that? Who knows? But I was, and uh, all of a sudden I fall down. My elbow dislocates. It pops out. It's where it should not be, and before I know it, I'm on the I'm on the bench trying to walk over there, and they put my elbow right back into place. And but I knew that was you know, I had no idea what a dislocated elbow was all about, and what it entailed. I asked our trainer. I said, "Hey, can I go back in the game?" I thought it was like a dislocated finger. You just put it back into place. You're good to go. He goes, "Go back in the game." He goes, "You're lucky if you're playing again this season." So I said, "Oh, it's like that." And then uh, thankfully, I got some pain meds and was able to get on the plane and feel and start feeling pretty good about about myself and uh, and about life after those payments headed but i'll tell you it took a while that that was that was a pretty pretty rough injury there's no question about that yeah i'm probably gonna take a pass on on youtubing it but uh, uh maybe some <laughs> maybe some adventurous listeners will, will go ahead and do that um all right so you're able to come back from your elbow injury and then your senior year you ran into steph curry and davidson on kind of the run that put him as on the map and that school on the map and uh, he was on fire, like you said. So can you just describe playing against Steph Curry, game planning for him, and how similar his game was at that stage of his career to now as the MVP uh, caliber player that he is? Yeah, and ultimately, was his game His game hasn't changed a whole lot. I mean, he was able to run the show at Davidson, and, and rightfully so. I, I would say I think the one thing that he's probably gotten a little bit better at is moving off of the basketball, giving it up, getting getting it back type deal. Uh, obviously, in college, you're running a lot more sets. I think in the NBA, you've got a lot more freedom of movement. So I think that's probably where you see, or at least I see a biggest difference versus when we played against them. Uh, but, I mean, the kid was a shooter. And as we prepared, our point guard, Trevin Hughes, Trayvon, was able to play in our last game but he turned his ankle and he had all week to rehab and we really thought he was going to be able to match up that was going to put mike flowers uh, trayvon was going to be able to guard uh, richards Uh, mike was going to be able to guard um, steph and we were able going to be able to help where we needed help and it was going to be great Uh, we were going to have jason bohannon come off the bench we were going to be set we felt good about the matchups well a little bit before the game trayvon 
you know, said he turned his ankle a little bit, couldn't really go. So at that point, what we had kind of planned for and how, you know, that was going to happen really got turned a little bit. J-Bo had to step in, play a lot more. Mike had to switch over and guard the point guard Richards a little bit. Then he had to guard Steph a little bit. So there was a lot more stress put on what Mike had to do. And then at the back part, the bigs, we were just trying to communicate all the screening action that they were running and all the stuff they were trying to do to get Steph open. Uh, So ultimately, I think when you look at it, you talk about everything's got to be in the right situation. I think if if Trevon doesn't get hurt, I think it's a different game. But he does, and and that's that's how the you know that's how it unfolded for us. I thought, you know, not that I ever looked ahead in that, but I thought we matched up. We probably would have played Kansas, and I thought we matched up a lot better with Kansas because they had a big, strong front line with Sasha Khan and those type, those sorts of players. But we never got there. So I think ultimately, a little turn of an ankle, I think, changed our fate more than Steph being really, really hot. Because I think we could have put a lot of pressure on him and made him feel uncomfortable. And then you did see that that next game from Kansas. They put pressure on Steph. Steph still put together a performance, but they made him work a lot more and because they just had more bodies to put on him. Yeah, and Curry had 33 in that game against you guys, and uh, your career at Wisconsin came to an end, but continued on uh, as a professional and uh, overseas and, and here as well in the G League. And these stories are always the ones that I, I kind of like getting into the most, especially when I have former basketball players on the podcast, because there's always some crazy stories. It's honestly like one of my favorite, <laughs> favorite parts is getting into every, all the shenanigans that go on overseas. So uh, just from your Wikipedia page and your bio and all that, it looks like you played in Japan, Greece, China, Puerto Rico, Philippines. Am I leaving any countries out? Is it, where else did you play? So the last two years, I actually played in Japan. I played in a small town called Fukuoka, and then I also played in Tokyo with Toshiba. Uh, I actually won championships my last two years playing. So it was really a great experience. I loved it. Uh, Probably my favorite, I also played in Dubai. Probably my favorite place would probably have been, that's a really good, I would probably have to go with Dubai because of the life and the, the, the lifestyle and and the way it was fantastic that the basketball is getting better, but it's still not at the level that, that I was used to playing, but it's getting better. The guys are doing a great job of, of you know, doing what they need to do. I also love Tokyo. I mean, I'll tell you one thing, a seven footer on a train in Tokyo, Japan. Now that's something <laughs> you got to see because everybody came up to about my belly button. So I could see everybody's head. That's for sure. But the way culturally Japan is, I absolutely loved it. I mean, people are so respectful. They follow the rules. All those little things that sometimes we take for granted, they do it to a T over there. So culturally, it was, it was amazing to be a part of that. And stories that come out of overseas ball, it, there's always, I feel like, some shady dealings in, in certain places. So were there any uh, stints that you had that were kind of ruined or, or cut short by anything, you know, any, any kind of sketchiness, I guess? Oh, there's no question about it. And, and, you know, you hear that Greece has the problem a lot. And I went there and was playing really well and, uh, you know, had a double-double and thought everything was going the way, uh, you know, expected it to go. And before I knew it, they decided they were going to go in a different direction. They brought in another guy. He started practicing with us. Listen, my Wisconsin education was, was really, really good. So I understood that if they brought in another guy, it was probably to take my job. So I just wanted to make sure I was going to get my money. Not a big deal. Probably send me home and that's fine. We'll, we'll figure it out. Well, 
I didn't get paid for the first month and they still had another guy there. So when the guy was there, it was a month long. He was there kind of as a tryout basis, whatever it is, I never got paid. So finally they decide they're going to kind of make a change. Not a big deal. I knew it was coming. We, me and my agent, and we'd already planned on something else that, and that's just kind of the way this industry works. So I walk in, I'm like, I need my money first. They're like, no, we have your plane ticket, but they're short almost a month and a half of pay. So I buy a ticket, I go to the game, and I walk in because the general manager and the owner are avoiding my converse, my calls. They're avoiding any time that we've set up a, ch- a chance to meet, everything they're avoiding. So I know there's one place that I know I'm going to find them, and that's at the game. <laughs> so I buy a ticket, I show up, and then I walk into the locker room where the GM and the owner are. And I'm like, listen, guys, I need my money, and I need it now. And then I'll get on a plane and I'll leave. But this whole thing not paying me isn't going to cut it. And I go, I'm going to buy a ticket and I'm going to show up to every game until I get paid. So needless to say, the next day there was money in my bank account and I was able to get on a plane, went to Bakersfield. And within four months later, I had signed an NBA deal with the Denver Nuggets. So let's just say it worked out well. But that was one of many, many uh, situations where you just kind of shake your head at it and, and realize that, this is what international basketball is. You got to have a voice. If you don't have a voice, they'll just walk over you. That's hilarious, and uh, I guess that kind of goes into the whole culture shock or falls under that category of international basketball, like you said. Were there any other uh, big culture shocks for you personally? Because you, you alluded to it earlier, you know, Tokyo and, and Dubai are a world away from Appleton and even Madison, Wisconsin. So, so what was kind of a shock to the system besides what you've already mentioned uh, overseas? Well, you know, I think. The first couple of years overseas, I was in, so I started in Spain for a little bit, and there was a miscommunication between my agent and the team. Now, what you believe on that, who knows? All I'm going to say on that is I fired my agent from Spain because I thought I was going over there for a 10-month deal, and it was a tryout. So needless to say, I was on Skype letting my agent go hiring a new agent ready to kind of attack it. So I had a quick kind of culture change to to Spain, but then that got changed really quickly. Then I went to China, and that was by far the eye-opening experience to what professional basketball was going to be for me. I had a translator by the name of Eagle, and he ultimately (laughs) was a guy that knew some English, but not nearly enough English to actually communicate with me. So... Anytime I would order food, anytime I would ask, I always said, is it live? Is it live? Whether it was a chicken or fish, because they brought out so much different food in China that just would not work for me. And then I tried almost everything, but I would know some stuff just wasn't going to cut it. Then I had to ask, and obviously dog is a delicacy over there. So I'd always ask Eagle as well. Hey, is this dog? Is this dog? Is this dog? Because that was that. That was one thing I was never going to try. <laughs> Uh, and every time I asked him, he would laugh. So unfortunately, I probably did have some dog, and just I couldn't believe it. And I, as even as I say the story, it's amazing. But um, so that was then I knew, okay, I gotta be full on all the time. You, you can trust some of your interpreters, but you got you got to really, really dive through this and and break down some stuff. Right. So that was the that was a great thing. Um, and then you know, obviously after that, got let go. Um, about six weeks into it and then I ended up in Germany and that's when I actually got really close with a German family and they kind of took me under under their wings a little bit 
and kind of I was able to learn what professional basketball was, what I needed to do, how to go about it. Uh, so that kind of was my learning point as far as what I needed to do culturally. And everywhere since, I've embraced it. Everywhere I've been. In Dubai, I had the traditional Muslim gear um, from from the from the, the dress and the clothing that they wore. Tokyo, I would try all the food. When I was in the Philippines, there was something called boyat, which is kind of a, a half uh, born like chicken egg. And I was a, I ate that because all the, all my teammates were eating it. So from that moment in Germany, I really realized you got to embrace the culture that you're in, no matter what, where you're at, embrace it, enjoy it, become part of it. And you're going to get a lot farther with your teammates and your coaching staff. And so that was a great learning experience for me. Yeah, that's the good stuff. Those are the stories I love hearing about uh, overseas hoops. So definitely enjoyed that. Um, and we talked about it. You were – or you are a coaching associate for the Wisconsin Herd. You played a good amount in the former D-League, now known as the G-League. So if you kind of compare those experiences uh, here in the United States to overseas basketball, I'd definitely be interested to hear the differences and some similarities as well. Yeah, so I think when you look at what the G-League and you know D-League slash G-League is, it is by far... I don't want to say more professional because that's not the right word, but it's smoother, right? Because it's what you're used to. It's it's what America's used to. It's what you grew up in America. You're used to being able to get on planes and not you know, and read where you're going and how to handle airports and all those little things. So the basketball side of it is the same as well. You, the language there's not a, not a language difference. There's all those things. So it's a really easy transition to the G League. The one thing that makes the G League very very hard is there are a ton of ups and downs. You might play really, really well. You might be close to a call-up, and then you'll get a call from your agent and say, oh, they took somebody else. You know, you're off that team's list for now. We'll see, but probably nothing's going to happen. So there's that constant up and down, up and down, up and down. There's the back-to-backs that you've got to play. There's the long bus rides that you've got to play. Now they've gotten rid of some of those long bus rides, but there's still a couple of them, and, and you still got to perform. You might play – in Canton, Ohio one day and then have to bust to Fort Wayne the next through the night and then you've got to go perform. So ultimately, overseas, there's not as many ups and downs because I would say every day is a roller coaster there. You you know that every day something's going to change, something's going to happen overseas, there's going to be a curveball, all of that happens overseas. You know every day something weird is going to happen. In the G League, there's consistency the ups and downs come from you as a player because the league is so so very competitive so i think that's the toughest thing with that league is you've got to be mentally locked in on each day and try to cut back on the ups and downs that are caused and caused a lot by yourself sure and um brian listen you've been very generous with your time but i do want to talk some current wisconsin basketball before i let you go um obviously this past year under Greg Gard was a step back for the program, um, not making the tournament for the first time in a long time. But I think overall, especially seeing how they performed at the end of the season, uh, Wisconsin fans are, are still generally optimistic. So I want to get your take on the current state of the Badger program and what you foresee for Wisconsin under Greg Gard. Well, I think the sky's the limit for this upcoming year. I think you got a lot of valuable experience last year, and your young kids did. But you had so many injuries. 
I mean, you had Kobe King go down with an ACL. You had Demetrius Trice get hurt. You had Brad Davison play with one arm. You, a guy like Nate Rivers was going to redshirt. Now got a valuable year of playing and, and kind of you know got tossed around a little bit. But that's only going to help this summer as he progresses through everything, through the weights, and is going to understand the value of all that. And then you look at some of the recruits that they've got. And then you obviously bring back Ethan Happ, who you know was testing the NBA waters and decided to come back. I don't think there's a lot of teams in the Big Ten that want to play this Wisconsin team this upcoming year. I think they're going to be really, really good. I think, you know, Coach Guard's leadership is perfect for what the Wisconsin Badgers is about. It is a team that wants to work, wants to improve. They're going to defend. They're going to take care of the basketball, and they're going to be in every game. And there's a reason Coach Ryan has had so much success. And then obviously Coach Guard being under Coach Ryan for as long as he has been, he understands you know, what the blueprint was. Now, has Coach Guard done a great job of changing some of those things up and doing some things differently? Yeah, I think you've seen the pace of play increase a little bit. I think Coach Guard has given some of the players a little bit more freedom in different areas. He's brought them back in at times as well in different areas. So I, I think there's been a really good balance there because ultimately you've still got to get some of these players to play for you. And I think Coach Guard is doing a great job of that. So I I think ultimately when you look at what next year is going to be for this Wisconsin basketball team, I think it's going to be a great year. I think you're getting a lot of guys back with a lot of valuable experience. And I really, I do think, I think the, the limit is, is way out there. I think they've got a great opportunity to take advantage of this year as a learning experience. I don't think that we're going to have to talk about consecutive years of not making the NCAA tournament. That's for sure. Yeah. And I mean, you, you have a great point. You look across the Big Ten, uh, a lot of Big Ten teams lost a lot. That's not the case for Wisconsin. And, and they're really, they're getting additions with just people coming back from injuries. So I, I expect them to take a big step forward from last season. I, I definitely agree. Um, Brian, that's all I, all I got for you this afternoon. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time, jumping on. A lot of good stuff, a lot of good stories, and I'm sure Wisconsin fans enjoyed uh, hearing them as much as I did. So I, I really appreciate it. Oh, no, it was great. I'm glad to have me on again. We got stories up the wazoo, I'll tell you that. They are full of them from overseas to just what it is, uh, you know, just the times at Madison. All of them have been great. I appreciate your time today. It was awesome. All right, we'd love to. Thanks again. All right, thanks once again to Brian for joining me. A lot of good stuff from him. Really enjoyed chopping it up with him. We'll definitely get him back on the podcast. Maybe in basketball season once Badger basketball gets back underway and uh, he can give us some insight since he is a member of the media, sports talk radio media, and uh, obviously very good at articulating his thoughts and and telling some uh, good stories while he's at it. All right, we'll fast forward a little bit in Badger basketball history to the Duye Dukin era, the era of para-final fours, Big Ten championship, Back-to-back 30-win seasons and uh, very fond memories for a ton of Badger fans. We'll get into his insight right now on the Take 10 Podcast. It's former Wisconsin forward Duye Dukin. I'm very pleased to welcome in another former Wisconsin Hooper. He was a four-year player for the Badgers, played in two Final Fours, and is now playing professionally here in the U.S. It's Duye Dukin, and you can follow him on Twitter at Duye Dukin. Duye, what's up, man? How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on. Uh, and I want you to start, if you could, by taking us through what you've been up to since your last game at Wisconsin. That was the national championship game back in 2015, 
Where has your uh, professional journey taken you since then? Yeah, so uh, I ended up playing summer league with the Kings uh, right right out of uh, Wisconsin. Ended up getting signed by them. Uh, played my whole rookie year with them. Was up and down with the D League and stuff uh, on assignment. And then my second year, I went overseas uh, to Croatia. Played there for about four to five months. And then came back to the D League, played in Chicago. And then this past season, did the same thing and finished off in uh, Fort Wayne in Indiana. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned right out of right out of school, you were got the opportunity with the Kings. How did that come about? Because I mean, you were a contributor for sure, especially on that team that reached the national title game. But um, you know, you, you weren't, you didn't have the draft prospects that someone like a Kaminsky or a Decker would have. So, how did that opportunity come about? Yeah, you know what? I just think um, you know sometimes in the position that you're at in college, you got to make a sacrifice for the benefit of the team. Uh, and I think that was that was you know my situation. Um, you know, I just wanted to bring whatever I could to the table. Uh, my role was you know being that sixth, seventh man, uh, bringing the energy and kind of depending on the flow of the game, uh, contributing in any way possible. Um, and I think you know once once I left Wisconsin, I was kind of able to show more what I could do, if that makes sense, uh, a little bit more freedom and free flow to my game. Um, and, you know, I had a pre-draft workout with, with the Kings, and, you know, they're like what they saw. Coach Carl wanted to see me kind of up close, and they ended up inviting me for summer league. And uh, that's kind of after like two or three games, uh, they ended up calling my agent saying, you know, we want to sign up for the season. And then that was kind of it from there. So when you were on the Sacramento Kings in interviews that you gave, both during that time and afterwards, you mentioned a big influential figure for you was Rajon Rondo, who was on the Kings at that time. Can you get into your relationship with him and, and what kind of presence he had on that team? Yeah, he was uh, he was unbelievable, man. Uh, by far one of my favorite teammates I've ever had. Um, you know, you talk about a guy who's been in the league for so long, and I think uh, he's like the epitome of somebody who was misunderstood. Uh, just in the sense that, you know, he had that uh, situation with the Mavs where um, he wasn't he wasn't playing a lot. People weren't happy with him. They weren't playing well. Um, and uh, and I think, you know, once he finally ended up leaving there, um, he ended up kind of being able to um, bring his true self out um, in Sacramento. And I think, you know, for me personally, uh, I didn't know what to expect. It's different. I mean, you know, I grew up. I grew up around the NBA, but when you're actually in it playing, it's a whole different story. So, you know, he was, he, I was kind of just picking his brain, um, learning from him on a day to day basis. Um, and the one thing, you know, that really surprised me about it is, um, you know, whenever I went to the gym, he was always there. Um, and, you know, he was always bringing me into drills saying, you know, do you, do you get this? Do you get this? He's like, I want to make sure you know the offense, you know, so if you get in games, you know what's going on. We're playing, playing in practice. He's like, I want you to be up to speed and everything. And he always made sure that, you know, even guys who weren't playing or didn't have a big role on the team at that point, he wanted them still, still being involved. Um, and it was actually kind of funny because before he came to Chicago, um, my dad being in the front office kind of just asked me about it. And I always told him from day one that I absolutely loved him. And, uh, and then Gar Foreman kind of asked me the same thing. He's like, you know, what'd you think of him? I was like, that was one of my favorite teammates by far. And then ironically enough, he ended up signing with Chicago after that. Hey, there you um, go. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, as, as far as Rondo's concerned, you know, I'm, I, I couldn't be happier, especially, you know, the playoffs that he had this past year. Uh, I was really happy for him. 
So what did you learn during your stint in the NBA? Uh, just, I guess, about the game in general, because, you know, if, even if you're there for as long as you were a season, I feel like there's a lot you can pick up on. Uh, you mentioned everything that Rondo did for you. What did you learn in general during that experience? Well, you know what, there was, a, there was a lot of different things that I picked up on, but I think just the, the number one thing is just picking these guys' brain uh, as to how to stay in the league, you know, because so many guys um, so many guys have that, you know, one-year stint or two-year stint or, um, you know, they whether it's like they have a couple call-ups and never, never have the opportunity to stick. Um, so I think it's kind of that mentality of uh, realizing it's a marathon and not a sprint. Um, I think that's the number one thing, but also uh, knowing what you can do and not kind of adjusting to the team, uh, if that makes sense. So, you know, for example, if you know you're a low post presence, work on that and, and, and master your craft. Uh, don't kind of work outside the box. You know, a lot of guys, a lot of times guys who are, um, who are shooters, They'll want to work on their ball handling and, you know, become great ball handlers. But instead, they should be working on, you know, perfecting the shot and making that like one, one thing that they're great at. Because when you look at the NBA now, there's so many guys who are in the league just because of one thing. You know, you look at guys like, for example, Corver, that man can shoot the ball like with the best of them. But then you have guys like, you know, Andre Roberson, who's strictly a defender. But that's that's how you get paid guys get paid for being masters at their craft and i think that's one thing that i've kind of taken an initiative initiative on the last couple seasons um you know this past season i ended up having surgery on my knee finally so it's the first time in two years that i'm actually healthy so i'm super excited uh for this upcoming season you know to finally playing pain free and have fun again yeah so you mentioned you just came from a workout today, um, what are your prospects now going forward? Now that you're healthy, where, where do you where are you uh, planning to play next season? And I assume NBA is still the ultimate dream, and I assume you got a lot left in the tank because you're still relatively young. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm just kind of taking it day by day, uh, letting my agent kind of handle that stuff. Um, I'm just, you know, trying to be the best player that I can be. I'm working hard every day. Uh, out here in LA with uh, with a great group of guys, a great trainer, um, you know, and put myself uh, hopefully in a good situation to to get a good contract next season, whether that is uh, the NBA or overseas somewhere. Uh, ideally, yeah, you know, I'd love to love to stay here, um, you know, in the NBA. And I think you know, if I get the right right opportunity or any opportunity, I think I can, you know, show that I belong. Um, and, and I would definitely be excited for that. So kind of just taking it day by day, enjoying the process, and uh, waiting to see what happens. For sure. And you mentioned your Bulls connections. Uh, not only did you play for the Bulls G League squad, uh, your dad, you mentioned, was or is an employee of the Bulls front office. He's a director of international scouting for them. So since he's been in that position for a long time, I imagine you've been around that franchise and gotten – really close with that franchise over the years. Can you kind of describe growing up around the Chicago Bulls, what that was like? Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, uh, I don't think I really understood what that was like uh, until I got to, you know, high school and college uh, when I kind of shared my story with some of my teammates. And they're like, wait, you, like, rebounded for MJ? Like, you were around there when he practiced? I was like, yeah. You know, it was kind of like a no-brainer type, not a big not a big deal to me, uh, you know, because it was something that I did every day. It was like, you know, I had breakfast and I would go to the gym with my dad uh, and watch practice. And so, 
you know, I grew up around the game, grew up around those guys. So it was kind of just like second nature. It wasn't anything crazy. Um, and, you know, I realized obviously when I got older, like how unbelievable those years were and how unbelievable some of those guys on that team were. Uh, and, and what a, what a true honor it was to, you know, you know, see these guys behind the scenes, how much work they put in. Uh, and then obviously see all that work, you know, come to fruition with all the championships that they were uh, fortunate to win. And then obviously, you know, I saw the down years uh, with the Bulls, you know, the baby Bulls, where they had, you know, Tyson Chandler, Eddie Curry, all the young guys, um, and the process of, you know, rebuilding and getting back to, to playoff contention with guys like Derrick Rose, uh, Jimmy Butler, Joakim Noah, and, and that squad. And now, you know, they're kind of doing the same thing again uh, with the likes of, you know, Chris Dunn, Zach Levine, and, and Larry Markinen. So it's kind of it's come to full circle again. Yeah, what's your most vivid memory from, I guess as a kid, just being around those 90s Bulls and those that dynasty? Whew, um, there's a lot of them, honestly. I think probably the coolest one would be uh, back in, I think it was 90, 97. Um, there's a picture that I have at home. Uh, we're in the locker room celebrating after they won the game. And uh, there's a picture of Scotty trying to pour champagne on me and my dad. And I'm like grabbing the bottle, trying to prevent him uh, from like tossing it on me. And I was like six years old at the time, you know, in my dad's arms. Um, and that's obviously something I'll, I'll never forget. Um, and, you know, the goal is now to be able to kind of switch it up and put myself in his shoes and be able to celebrate it one day. That's awesome, man. Um, so you grow up in the Chicagoland area. You're you're star at Deerfield High School. And then you get to Wisconsin in the same class as guys like Ben Bruss, Josh Gosser in that 2010 class. So you kind of describe the struggle maybe to stand out on those teams early on on a, in a program that pretty much had it rolling already for uh, you know, a number of years and just had good class after good class coming in. Yeah, you know, obviously it was tough. Um, you know, I think every every kind of college recruit can can attest to it. Um, you know, you get uh, said some things during the recruiting process um, to kind of, you know, entice you to come. And then when you get there, you realize, you know, it might not be as sweet as it sounds. Uh, but at the same time, it's not like, um, you know, you're promised to play 30 minutes a game coming in or anything like that. Um but, you know, I was told, obviously, that they, that they really liked me, that I'd be a good fit. Um, and unfortunately, you know, for, for my personal situation, I didn't really get a chance until my junior year. Um, and so, you know, I knew whenever that time came, whenever my opportunity came, I had to take advantage of it. And fortunately for me, you know, once that time come, my number was called, I was ready. Um, but as far as, you know, teammates that I've had, um, I think, you know, especially my, my senior year, that was like a group of, group of guys that uh, I've never had um, a, a bond with like that. Uh, we were so close together. You know, guys were so unselfish, didn't care, you know, who was getting the credit. Yeah, we did have Frank, who was National Player of the Year, but there was nights where Frank didn't play well. Um, and, you know, I stepped up or Nigel stepped up or Sam stepped up. You know, that was, I think, the beauty of that 2014-2015 uh, team is, you know, on any given night, anybody could explode for having a big night. Um, and unfortunately, obviously, we're, our, our dreams were cut short a little bit in the uh, national title game. But, you know, I think the bond that we have is something that we'll definitely uh, hold on to for the rest of our lives. Yeah, you guys accomplished a ton back to back 31 seasons, Final Fours, all that good stuff. Um, so, coming up, when did you kind of realize how special that group was going to be? Because you kind of see 
you know, the veterans were still there, but you had guys like Bronson and Nigel coming up. Kaminsky and Decker, you could tell, were special. And you, Gosser, Brust, and Jackson, those guys were kind of the old vets. So when did you really realize that, hey, you guys might have something cooking here? Uh, I think at that point, uh, the turning point for us would have been the tournament uh, my junior year, so the 2013-2014 tournament. Um, you know, making that run to the Final Four, I think, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, that was a fluke, like Wisconsin got lucky. But I think that kind of convinced us, you know, our goal going into that season was, you know, to break the mold. Uh, you know, Wisconsin always had the idea of, you know, let's get to the tournament, like let's, you know, win win the first weekend and then, you know, that's good enough. But we're like, nah, we're not going to do that. We're breaking out of that mold. Like we, we can accomplish better. We can, we can go bigger than that. Um, and we always talked about, you know, Final Four, Final Four, Final Four. And then our junior, we ended up doing it. And then I think obviously the way that we lost that Kentucky game, it was huge motivation for everybody going into the off season. You know, we, were, we remember that feeling. We were sick to our stomach, you know, being that close and getting it ripped away. Uh, we were, you know, motivated to put in that work so that once the opportunity presented itself again, it wouldn't happen the way it did before. Um, so I think once, once my senior year, uh, year rolled around, guys were locked in and ready to go. Um, and I think, um, once, once those big games came, uh, we were already battle tested and stuff like that. So we were ready to go when the time came. Um, and we were just kind of out there to prove it to everybody else that, you know, Wisconsin wasn't like a one hit wonder with the tournament, you know, we're here to stay, we're good enough. Um, and it was a nice nightly thing with that we wanted to prove. Yeah. And when you watch like a documentary, like the fab five and teams that have gone to back to back final fours, some people talk about the pressure and the challenge of, of getting back and, and how that can kind of hang over a season. Once you had gotten there, what was the, I guess, attitude like in your locker room? Did you guys feel any pressure the second time around or, or was it more, uh, more business-like? Honestly, no, it was, it was way more business-like. It was almost like an expectation for us. You know, we set goals at the beginning of the season. Like, All right. You know, you look at the team that we had last year, we went to the final four. Now this year, everybody's year older or better we're smarter. We've been through it. We know what to expect. There's absolutely no reason we can't go farther. Um, and I think, you know, there wasn't that, you know, your first first time around, you're going to have nerves, jitters, you know, you don't know really what to expect. Second time around, you know, we're like, we've been through this. There's nothing that can scare us that we're afraid of, that we don't know how to handle. We're, we're, we're fine. Um, and I think, you know, the biggest, I, I think for me personally, um, with how many upsets happened, that first weekend, uh, my senior year, once we got past Coastal Carolina, that was kind of the game that, you know, they were they were definitely uh, underranked being a 16 seed. I think they should have been higher than that. Um, but I think, you know, once we once we won that game, it was kind of getting the monkey off our back. Like, all right, we're not getting upset. Just relax. Go out there and play. Um, and, and, you know, we obviously had our fair share of tough games down the stretch, you know, with that. North Carolina game with the uh, with the Arizona game, and then uh, obviously with the Kentucky game going down to the wire. Uh, but I think you know all the games that we had during the season and the year before um, kind of helped pre- prepare us for that long road of uh, the 2014-2015 uh, Final Four run. Definitely. So how about the experience of the Final Four itself? Like it's such an event, and there's so much you have to focus on besides the game itself. Once you get there, with like media obligations and fans and being in a different city for, you know, an entire weekend. What were – if you could compare and contrast, I guess, the 2014 Final Four to the 2015 one, 
uh, once you guys had kind of been through the ringer once and the overall experience of just the event itself? Sure. I think uh, 2014 at Dallas, it was kind of the, you know, I think for me personally, for most of the guys on the team, it was like we're little kids at a candy store. Uh, we were just eating up every minute of it, you know, loving it, um, you know, enjoying enjoying a spotlight, um, enjoying being on that stage, you know, all the media obligations and kind of just having fun with it. But the second time around, it was like, all right, we got media again today. Like, let's get this over with. Let's get back to the hotel. Guys were just kind of locked in. We were ready to go. We weren't concerned about any of the hoopla around the game. We were just focused on, you know, all right, Kentucky's on Saturday night. We beat Kentucky. We're playing for a national championship on Monday. And that was kind of it. Like, the first time around, it was, you know, enjoy the process and, and, and have fun. But the second time around, uh, we are like, yo, we can't. We're not, we're not here for the hoopla and all that. We're here to win games and, and win a national championship. Um, but I think, you know, obviously with Dallas, um, I think that was the weekend that we set the record for most people to ever attend a basketball game in the, in the history uh, with like 77,000-something, um, or 79,000, excuse me. So, you know, to think that we were part of history uh, for, for, for an event like that, you know, it's, it's crazy to think about. Um, but I think, you know, as we, as we kind of talked about earlier, that, that second year, we were just way more locked in, way more business-like, uh, and we were kind of just ready to go. All that extra stuff that was going on, you know, we left that, left that to the media and for the other teams. We, we, we didn't really want to get caught up into that, you know, even though I think people are going to say, oh, well, you know, look at all the press conferences and stuff like that. That's just us being us. You know, we were a fun group. We liked to joke around with each other. It was the bond that we had. So while we were like, you know, taking care of all those obligations, we're like, why, why not just have fun with it? So that's kind of where like guys started to clown around during some press conferences and stuff like that. And that garnered more attention from the media. Yeah. And one similarity between those final fours was you played Kentucky. Obviously you guys lost in 2014 and then 2015, that Kentucky team, uh, you know, squares up with you guys and they're 38 and no, that's, that's the, the team with the uh, platoons or whatever. And they seemed unbeatable. People were talking about 40 and 0 all season and you guys take them down. What was, I guess, the game plan for that game? Were you guys intimidated at all? Just what was that, facing that challenge and going out there and getting it done, what went into that accomplishment itself? Um, you know what? Honestly, I don't think we were intimidated because we wanted Kentucky from the jump. Uh, after losing to them the way that we did uh, the season prior, we didn't care. You know, yeah, they have Carl Anthony Towns, they have Devin Booker, all these guys who are, you know, doing unbelievable things in the NBA. We didn't really care about, uh, you know, how they were highly touted and all that. We were just like, we want Kentucky. Like, they beat us, we want them. Uh, and I remember, you know, as soon as we beat Arizona, we got back on the bus and we were watching the end of the uh, Notre Dame-Kentucky game on our phones, you know, hoping that uh, Kentucky would pull it out so we could play Kentucky. Um, and you know, when they won, everybody was excited because we got the matchup that we wanted. But I think when it came to it, uh, the one big thing that we really keyed in on is their size. Cause when you look at that front line, they were big. Uh, like, you know, we, people always joked about our Redwood lineup, uh, at Wisconsin, you know, when we put, uh, Trey at the one, Sam at the two, me at the three, Nigel at the four, Frank at the five, that was considered like a big lineup, but then they have, you know, Trey Lyles, who's like 6'10", 6'11", playing at three. Uh, they have Carl Towns playing at four. Willie Cauley-Stein playing at four. And, and Carl Towns playing at five. Um, so, I mean, they, they went huge. 
Um, so that was one thing that we really needed to account for was like, obviously the rebounding. Um, but then they also had, um, had some shooters with that, with the Harrison, uh, Harrison twins, Euless and, uh, um, Booker. So I think, you know, once, once the game got underway, uh, we were kind of just like at the end of the day, the basketball, we just need to play our game. Uh, and if we take care of that, I think we'll put ourselves in a good position to win. All right, so you guys fell one game short, uh, lost to Duke in the national championship game, but you guys are remembered probably as the best team in Wisconsin history, most wins in Wisconsin history, 36. And what really stood out about that group was just how much fun you guys had, and you alluded to it earlier. Like, I remember video games being a big thing with you guys. Like, the press conferences were funny <laughs> to, to watch. People kind of grew into their personalities as that team and that, that group evolved. So what was that group like, just being a part of it throughout those four or five years? Man, it, it's crazy. Um, it, it's funny you say that because we had uh, Frank's jersey retirement back in February, and you know, pretty much the whole team was back together. Uh, aside from I think one or two guys who weren't weren't able to make the trip, and I I kid you not, it was literally like we didn't skip a beat. We didn't see each other for you know two years. Basically, this was like the first time that the whole team was back, and uh, it was it was literally like we're making the same jokes, catching up on stuff. Um, cracking inside jokes and we're, we're joking about it we're saying how we need to do this way more often because uh, we had so much fun you know just rekindling old stuff that we've been through uh but as far as you know having fun with that group it was it was something that we'll never forget uh i think the bond that we were able to have off the court you know going to eat together playing video games all the time and all that stuff that relationship that we established led to all the chemistry that we had on the court um and you know, like like you said, unfortunately, I'm going up on short a little bit. But I think uh, once you look at the bigger picture, people begin to realize, you know, that we put Wisconsin on the map, and we're able to, uh, you know, hopefully show that, you know, we can be we can be a force to be reckoned with uh, for years to come. Yeah, no question. And and I'm glad you brought up Kaminsky's retirement ceremony this past year, because when Frank came into uh, came into college, you know, he wasn't really highly recruited, and, and he certainly was not a projected AP Player of the Year and and lottery pick type guy. So when did you kind of think that Frank Kaminsky could turn into the caliber of player where one day you hang his jersey in the rafters at Cole Center? Um, I would probably say the summer going into junior year, uh, you always saw flashes of it that he had high potential, but we weren't really sure what what he could do um, until that junior going in our junior year when, you know, he, he really lost a lot of weight, came back um, with a lot of motivation because we knew, you know, Jared Bergen wasn't on the team anymore and it would kind of be Frank's, Frank's job to lose. And I think he kind of took that opportunity and ran with it. Um, and he wanted to kind of break the, break the role of, you know, the classic Wisconsin big man, you know, shooting threes here and there, but, you know, being more so like an inside presence. But Frank took that to a whole other level, you know, putting the ball on the floor, showing off his handle, backing guys down, shooting threes, you know, leading the break. Um, that's kind of that's kind of where the transformation began. Um, and I think that's where our team began to transform because, you know, Coach Ryan realized, you know, I've never really had a player like this before. And then he gave a lot of other guys freedom too. And that's what kind of led to us beginning to flourish into what we became. All right, Duya. Well, we talked a lot about the players and your teammates 
and yourself uh, during your time in Wisconsin. We haven't talked much about Bo Ryan, though, and I feel like Bo Ryan's always good for a, a story, and, and his players always have good stories about him. So do you have any Bo Ryan stories that stick out on the top of your head when you think back? Um, yeah, we got – okay, so here's one. Um, we, I'm, I'm convinced – we, we weren't able to realize if coach was messing around about it or he genuinely like just messed up people's names all the time. So it was going into my, I think my sophomore year. Yeah. It was my sophomore year. Cause Frank was a freshman and, um, we were playing at Indiana and we're going over this guy in report. Um, you know, he was kind of giving me like his pregame speech. We were talking and, uh, and he's like, you know, guys, we want to make sure uh, whoever's, uh, whoever's guarding open people got to be locked in. And everybody looks around. We're like, what? Did he just say open people? And, and everybody's like, and I lifted my shirt above my head, like above my mouth so I could start laughing. And, and then one of the assistant coaches is like, coach, it's Oladipo. He goes, yeah, 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 that's what I meant. And so anyway, that like started a trend where – he mispronounced we literally had a wall so in our locker room we had one of those whiteboards that you can move and behind one of them we just put down all the names that he mispronounced and then we would put what the actual name should have been and we kid you not we filled up an entire board of mispronunciations um so that's one thing that i think definitely stuck in my mind from coach ryan and to this day, you don't know if he was messing with you guys or not. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We were once it kind of at some point it kind of got out of hand as far as like the the mistakes he were he was making, and and so we were like I think he kind of you know embraced it um, because he realized like how much fun we were having with it and he's like yeah well, you know why not let's just keep it going. Did did uh or do you guys have like any record of this whiteboard anywhere still? Like somebody take a picture of it, please. Tell me there's a picture uh, somewhere. No, unfortunately, we don't. Uh, I'm trying to think if we, if anybody ever took a picture of it. We just kind of added to it, and and nobody ever, uh, nobody ever like took a picture of it or anything. I think they wiped it out, wiped it off at the end of the season. Well, that's great because I feel like it's just an old guy thing. Like my grandpa mispronounces names all the time, and I can't tell if he like really knows the real name and is just like giving up on trying to pronounce it or what. But I, I, that's totally relatable. Um, exactly exactly <laughs> and one, one more story so i talked to brian butch earlier today for for this podcast and he told me a bow story and i want to see if you if it sounds familiar and, and if you notice the same thing so he said that on wisconsin's team bus that coach ryan always sat in the front of the bus but on the plane he would always sit in the back and eventually uh <laughs> eventually brian worked up the courage to ask coach ryan like why do you sit in the back of the bus what's the deal and he said because if the plane crashed, it would go down nose yeah. first and he would survive in the back. Like, does that sound – did you know yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, we did know that. <laughs> uh, it, it's a very, very strange uh, outlook. We found that out – I can't remember when it was. I think it was, like, when we took, a, uh, when we took like, a small charter to, I think, Penn State or somewhere, and when we were flying, uh, guys were always trying to maneuver and to get more leg room. So – uh, cause the, the charters that we took to like the, uh, closer destinations, like Penn state wasn't that far. It would be, uh, two rows on one side and one row on the other side. So everybody would try and get that one seat on the, uh, on the side so that you can kick your legs out. 
because the legroom wasn't anything like comfortable. So we'd try and get that one one seat by yourself, or you would hope that you could get two seats alone so you could take over those two seats. So anyways, I remember um, Nigel, Nigel was a freshman and he kept, uh, you know, he was never afraid to voice his opinion. And he, we walked to the back of the plane and uh, and he made a joke to Coach Ryan, uh, and his wife was sitting next to him, and he's like, uh, come on, Coach. He's like, how can you be sitting in the back? He's like, I thought you would be first class, you know, having a martini or something. And Coach was like, no, no, no. He's like, I'm in the back. He goes, think about it when a, when a plane crashes. He goes, what goes down first? He goes, the front end of the plane is going to crash first. And then uh, and then Nigel started laughing. He's like, all right, well, I'm going to sit in the row in front of you then. And so Nigel sat down to see right in front of him after that. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. So it's an actually like it, it, he wasn't just messing with Bud. That's a real thing. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm yeah, glad you exactly. could uh, corroborate that story. That's fantastic. <laughs> you got it. All right, Duye. Uh, one last question before I let you go. Um, just want to get your thoughts on the current state of Wisconsin hoops. Uh, the Badgers obviously missed the tournament last year for the first time in a while, and. They closed the season strong. They got pretty much everybody coming back and people coming back from injuries as well. So I wanted to get your thoughts on next season and beyond under Greg Gard. Yeah, you know what? I'm excited. Um, I think last year was a tough season because we had so many uh, underclassmen that were kind of required to have a bigger role. Uh, And and some of those guys, you know, it was really their first time playing. Um, And they were expected to have, you know, big impacts uh when they really hadn't been through the rodeo before uh so there was a lot of growing pains a lot of frustrating times i think injuries were a huge part of uh, of why we weren't able to be as successful as we wanted to be but um i think for next season you know obviously ethan coming back um the davidson kid uh as well you know coming back healthy and uh the rest of the team you know i think it'll be it'll be very exciting to see how they uh how they grow this summer see how the team comes together uh for next season because you know you can definitely see flashes um throughout the season with you know for example when they beat purdue uh on a frank's jersey retirement night um i remember talking to brevin before the game um you know, kind of just trying to pick his brain. I'm like, what's going on, man? Like, why are we struggling so bad? Because when you look at it, we really shouldn't have been, like, struggling as much as we were. Um, and he was like, man, is it just, I think, guys' confidence is down uh, and stuff like that. And, you know, kind of went into detail talking about it. I was like, all right, well, you know what? I was like, I just hope you know you're winning tonight. And he looked at me and smiled. He was like, all right, dude. He was like, no, I'm telling you, like, you're going to win tonight. And, uh, and, I was like, just keep the game closed. I'm, I'm telling you, the fans will bring this home. I was like, you not, you guys are not going to lose this game. And sure enough, they end up winning the game. And he, he looks at me after the game points. He goes, you called it. I was like, yeah, I know. I was like, I'm telling you, these fans are something else, man. Um, so I think, you know, these guys are all a year, a year older, a year mature. They've been to the Big Ten now. They've played against some good non-conference opponents. Uh, so I think they'll be ready for the calling. Uh, and I think, you know, obviously Coach Guard, this was his first – his first, I think, true testament with a lot of injuries and, and, and stuff like that. So I think it was a good a good experience for him, too. Um, so I'm excited to see what, what these guys have planned for us next season. Uh, hopefully I can catch a game or two uh, and, and show my support to them. All right, yeah. Well, I can credit you with two things um, for sure, and that's the Bulls signing Rondo and – Wisconsin beating, <laughs> Wisconsin beating Purdue last year, so that's good to know. And, uh, hey, man, I had a lot of fun reminiscing about uh, your playing days. 
with you here today. You're very generous with your time. I appreciate you uh, spending some time on the podcast. And uh, maybe we'll get you back on again soon. You got it, man. We'd love to be back on. Thanks right. for having me. Yep. All right. Thanks once again to Brian and Duye for joining me. Had a ton of fun chatting with those guys. Uh, love hearing the locker room stories and kind of the off-the-court stories of players and coaches and then also their post-college adventures in the world of basketball. Uh, always good catching up with guys, especially, you know, if they haven't made the NBA or if they had a cup of tea in the NBA but haven't stuck, you know, it's, it's good to get an update on where they're at and um, definitely wish Duye the best in his ongoing career and, and Brian the best in his ongoing coaching media and uh, I guess coaching basketball camp venture as well. So great discussions with a, a pair of great guys and um, I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. want to give one shout out as I always do at the end of the show to my producer Wes White. Killing it as always. He's a Badger fan so I hope you enjoyed these discussions. It's probably one he actually listened to all the way through so thanks for that Wes and thanks for producing as always. Thanks to everyone out there, as always, for listening. And we'll talk to you next time here on the Take 10 Podcast.